Our scripture reading today is from Luke 19, 11 through 27. As they heard these things, he proclaimed to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minutes and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your minna has made ten minas more. And he said, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities." And the second came, saying, Lord, your minna has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came and said, Lord, here is your minna, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was not was a severe man taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the minna from him and give it to the one who has ten. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given, but to the one who has not, even that will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's always such a privilege to get to come and be with you. It is such a joy to get to come and be at one of our sites. You know, we're one church with several sites. We're one body, we're one covenant community, and so it's a gift to get to be with you this morning. Thank you so much. What an amazing passage. It made me think about a friend of ours who lived in a small town in Mississippi. I'm from a small town in Mississippi, and uh, the king was coming to that small town. And that small town was a buzz with emotion and excitement. And she thought it was kind of silly. The king was coming. She didn't think he was that handsome. And she didn't think he could sing that good. And she didn't understand why everybody went to screaming and chasing and passing out. It's much to do about nothing, she thought. But he was flying into their small airport and they were all going her high school buddies, she wasn't going to go. She wasn't going to waste her time with that silliness. But they talked her into it, and so they drove into the airport, and sure enough, his plane landed, and the crowd was allowed out on the tarmac, which was a mistake. It happened. It hit. And the crowd lost control as Elvis stepped out onto the pavement, the crowd rushed forward, blew through the police line, and knocked over the temporary fencing that was supposed to protect him. 
And my friend Linda, who thought it was all much to do about nothing, was leading the way. <laughs> she was screaming. She was crying. A man next to her got punched in the nose. She said later when she was interviewed, it was a good thing that Elvis made it to the limousine before I got to him because had I gotten to him, I would have had my way with him. They were like, oh. She said, oh, you better believe it. I would have kissed him right on the lips. We talked to her later about it. She said she don't know, she doesn't know what happened. All of a sudden, she just knew she was overcome with emotion and excitement, and she was off. Has that ever happened to you? Has your emotion ever gotten the best of you? Has your excitement ever taken hold of you and caused you to make a mistake? Have you ever been so angry you did something you shouldn't have? The disciples and the crowd here, there is a huge excitement about the kingdom coming. Jesus is at the pinnacle of his earthly ministry. And one commentary said, Messianic expectation, kingdom expectation had reached a fever pitch among Jesus' followers. Look at our passage, verse 11. And because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately, they were overcome with the excitement. They had it'd been so many years They'd been under the boot of Rome. So many hard and awful things had happened. The excitement of the possible coming of the kingdom, things being made right, them being put in power, overwhelmed them. They'd been with Jesus. He'd even called himself the son of David, a messianic term. Or the son of man, another one, the promised one. They'd seen Jesus' supernatural powers again and again and again. He'd walked on water. He'd calmed a storm. He'd healed the blind. The deaf were made to hear. The cripple walked again. They'd seen it. He even had raised a man from the dead. And now here they were ascending from Jericho up to Jerusalem, the holy city, during the festival of the Passover. It was perfect. It was the right time. On paper, this had to be it. The kingdom had to be coming. They thought, they expected, they wanted Jesus to be their conquering king, to take over, to put them in power. And their emotions got the best of them. And Jesus had to correct them. You see, in their emotion, they were crying for, they were asking for Jesus to skip the cross, to bypass the most important part. Had he done what they asked him to do, we would have missed the cross. And so he told them this parable. Look at verses 12. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. You see, we're in the already, but the not yet, so were they. There was to be an interval between Jesus' first coming where He would come, take on 
His human body, be Emmanuel, God with us, and go to the cross and become that perfect sacrifice, that substitute for sinners. And then He would die and go to heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father. So first coming, interval, and then second coming, He would journey, as our parable says, to a far off country, to heaven, and then come back to do what they wanted Him to do right now. But He couldn't do it. Not right now. He had to first go to the cross. We don't like to hear this. We don't like to think about this. We certainly don't like to receive it. But our passage teaches first that Jesus is a correcting Savior. Jesus is a correcting Lord and we often need it. You see, left to ourselves, we make a mess of things. And we need our loving Savior, our loving Lord to teach us, to train us, sometimes to rebuke us, to correct us. And His correction is loving and gracious and merciful and good. What do you think about when you hear the terms rebuke? Or when you hear the terms correct? Or you hear the term discipline? Kind of pricks you, doesn't it? And yet, we need it so desperately. We need it so deeply. And we get it from a loving Lord. It freaked the religious leaders out when Jesus said, call him Abba, Father. You can say Father to a holy God. And that's the kind of relationship that we have through Jesus, through this Lord, through this nobleman that the parable is about. Do you trust him as a correcting Lord? Do we get settled in the Lordship of Christ? He is our Savior. And we're so thankful for that. He did come first to go to the cross. He did come first to become a man and live a perfect life and die a criminal's death so that sinners like you and like me can be saved. Saved from eternal damnation. But it's so much more than that. The gospel is so much bigger than that. Yes, He came to save us. But to what end? He came to save us so that we might have life in abundance. And so He often has to correct us. You see, we mistakenly, in our emotions, in our excitement, in our wants, in our desires, make ourselves the standard. And that's a mistake. He must be our standard. And so He has given us His Word, His love letter to us to tell us who we are, who He is, and how we best work and how we can experience and enjoy life in abundance here and now. Think about it. Do you ever struggle with, if I do the right things, He'll love me or like me more? 
But what does the Bible say? It's by grace alone you've been saved, not by works. God loves us. He knows everything about us and he loves us. And that love never changes based on how we're doing or whether we had our quiet time or not. Or do you look at the hard things in your life and the evil in this world and you think, Lord, are you paying attention? Are you asleep at the wheel? Do I, do we matter to you? The Bible says God never sleeps or slumbers. Or you remember what he said in Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you. Plans of good and not harm. Plans to prosper you. Or James, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials, because those very trials produce perseverance, and perseverance matures your faith. Doesn't feel like that sometimes, does it? But it's true. His word is true. Remember what the woman at the well said? You got to come meet this man who knew everything I've done. And he loved me still. Romans 5, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. He loves us so much that he sent his son that we might live. And that's the foundation for which we embrace his correction. Don't run from his correction. Embrace it. Don't be afraid of him exposing your blind spots or showing you your weaknesses. Let him mold you and make you into the man or the woman whom he is calling you to be so that you can experience deeper and richer intimacy with him. We're so quick to trust ourselves. Run to a loving father who loves you so much, he gave his only son. He was at the 7-Eleven. He needed to pick up a couple of things that they were lacking. And uh, as he was standing at the counter, he saw the sirens and he heard the ambulance and he saw the fire trucks rush by. And his heart was pricked. He thought, oh man, he said a little prayer. Lord, be with the people they're running to. Thank you for those caretakers and uh, those who run into trouble. And he bought his stuff and he kind of looked up and he thought, man, that, they're headed right towards where my apartment building is. I hope it's not anybody, I know, I hope it's not in our apartment building. He paid for his things and he headed out and he drove down and he could see the lights in the distance. He thought, wow, that is really close to our apartment. He started getting a little concerned. And as he got closer and closer, he realized not only was it in their apartment complex, it was close to his apartment building. And sure enough, to his horror, he got there and he looked up and there was his daughter standing on the ledge of his apartment building as fire flowed out of the windows in his apartment. He pushed through the crowd and he ran through up to the fire chief who was holding a bullhorn saying, sweetie, you've got to jump. And they had a trampoline, a rescue trampoline right down. She was two stories up and for some reason she was clinging to the, the railing on their apartment stoop and she wouldn't jump. And he ran up and yelled at the fire chief, sir, 
I'm her father. That's my daughter. She's blind. She can't see. And he grabbed the bullhorn from the fire chief and he said, honey, you've got to jump and you've got to jump now. Like that. She leapt from the, the banister and they caught her in the trampoline. They rushed her to the hospital because more than not, when somebody does that, there are broken bones or bruises or, or sprained shoulders and all of that kind of sort. The doctor came out and said, I can't believe it. But I mean, there's not a scratch on her. There's not a broken bone. There's not a wrenched shoulder. What in the world? And so the doctor asked the daughter, uh, what what was going on? She said, well, I heard all this noise. I could feel the heat, but you know, I couldn't see and I was scared and I didn't understand or hear or know the voice that was calling out to me until I heard my dad's voice. And then I knew what I had to do. I knew it was okay to jump. I knew it was safe. And even though I was so scared, even though I couldn't see, I heard his voice and it comforted me. We can hear His voice. We can know that our correcting God is a loving Father who loves us so much that He would give His Son. We look at verses 13 through 26 in our passage. We see this story and Jesus gives us a command. First, He corrects our mistakes, but then He gives us a command. It's a simple one, but it's a powerful one. He says, you're my servants. Christians are to do business until Jesus returns. And that business is simply to spread the gospel. I got to tell you, I get so busy in life and I'm a preacher for crying out loud. Sometimes I forget that this is our call, that this is our job, that Jesus has called us to invest our lives in the act, in the work of evangelism, of sharing the gospel. So many things come at us in life. So many emails hit our computer screens that we can forget who we are and what He calls us to. And in this passage, in this parable, He says to His servants, you have a job to do. You have a purpose in this world and it is to take the gospel into the darkness, to shine a light in the darkness, to tell people of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus did come and He didn't listen to His disciples. He didn't listen to the Jews. He didn't call the kingdom down and call the kingdom out. First, He came and He went to the cross. And on the cross, He took upon Himself the righteous, just wrath of God the Father for His people. Even though He was innocent, He became guilty on our behalf. He became the substitute, the Lamb of God, as John the Baptist said, come to take away the sins of His people. And on the cross, He took what we owe. He paid what we couldn't so that we could have life. And in this parable, Jesus, through this parable, tells His people, speaks to us 
because you're mine, because of what I've done for you, I've called you to a purpose. And that purpose is to take what I've given you. In this passage, there are ten servants. And he gives them each a, I don't know how you say it, mina, mina. I'm from Mississippi. He gives us what we need to go and take the gospel. And we see in this parable these three uh, servants. And the first two go and they invest it and they give it away. And the first one ends up with ten more. And the second one ends up with five more. And we'll talk about the third. God calls you and I with what He's given us. And remember, He provides for all that we need. We will lack nothing. Not only did Jesus pay what we couldn't so that we could have a relationship with God, but He gives us the Holy Spirit. He leaves, He places, He puts in us His Spirit that enables us, that guides us, that empowers us to go into this world and give the good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. We've got to remember this. We've got to understand this. We can't get distracted. God calls us because of what He has given us to go and take it to a world that desperately and deeply needs it. Now, look at verse 14. But His citizens hated Him and sent a delegation after Him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. The world hated Jesus and so it will hate us. This will not be easy. There will be hard things as we go to give the good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. There may even be persecution. We know that happens. It's getting harder and harder in our culture to talk about these things and yet we have to do it. We know in other countries people are literally losing their lives and being imprisoned for taking the gospel into the world. But we're called to it and we're made for it. Now think about this. In one sense, God doesn't need us. God can do anything and everything. He is capable of existing all by Himself. He needs and lacks nothing. But what a gift. What a blessing. What a joy to get to be a part of Him saving souls. What a gift to get to be a part of walking with our friends and our families and even strangers as He brings them to salvation and grows them in His grace and uses them to change the world. Now let me tell you something. Again, Maybe y'all don't struggle like I do, but I'm easily distracted. And it is so easy to be so self-focused that I forget there is nothing more powerful, there's nothing more healthy than dying to self and living for Him, laying down your life to do this. It will change you. There's nothing like getting to see somebody come to know the Lord. One of the greatest things I get to do is to do new member interviews. And they're not fancy. It's just for me to hear somebody's testimony. Hear how someone came to Christ. Last week, I had these two young girls 
they came in. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I get a little nervous when I get interviewed because you don't know what questions are coming. And They know me, but they don't know me that great. And I could tell they were excited, but I could tell they were nervous. And as I asked the gospel questions, and they answered them beautifully, I could see the excitement. I could see the joy, and they forgot that they were nervous. They forgot that they were afraid. Now, how beautiful is that? The power of the gospel. The power of the good news. And I asked them, were you scared? They said, yes, sir. I said, all of heaven rejoices when you face your fear because you love Jesus more. Oh, that we would be about that. She never saw the deer come running out of the woods, but it did, and it hit her head on. The next thing she remembers, she was in a daze, but she heard a big metal crashing sound and the door next to her just went flying off. And then it, it's a haze, but she remembers she was put down, picked up and put down on the side of the road. And the next thing she remembered is the EMTs were attending to her and asking her questions. Ma'am, are you okay? Ma'am, how did you get on the side of the road? Ma'am, how did you get away from your car? I, Ma'am, I think you have a real serious concussion. Are you okay? Can you hear us? What's your name? Where do you live? And she blacked out. And the next thing she remembers, her husband was in the hospital with her and said, dear, what, what happened? She said, well, I, I remember the deer. And then I remember a man, you know, wrenched the door off the hinges and pulled me out and took me to safety. And she's like, well, honey, you've had a concussion. You know, no man can wrench the door off of your car. And she said, I'm just, I'm telling you, a man, a big man, he was a big man, wrenched the door off my car and he pulled me to safety. And I, okay, honey, that's fine. And uh, none of them believed her. And she kept telling them and she wouldn't shut up about it. And to the point where her family was getting a little annoyed. Honey, there was no man, nobody can wrench the door off of a car like that. We appreciate it. You had a concussion. It's okay. You don't have to keep saying that. I promise you, a man pulled me out of my car and took me to safety. Okay, that's fine. A couple of weeks later, they were watching the Dallas Cowboys and the Detroit Lions in a football game, and Herschel Walker's picture popped up for some record he had broken. And she said, that was him. That was the man. He's the one that took me to safety. Well, that made it worse. They were like, Herschel Walker. We, we, there's no way. But he did. He was on his afternoon jog. He saw the car on the side of the road, wrenched the door off of her car, took her to safety. When he heard the sirens coming, he went on about his jog. And she'll never stop telling that story because she was saved from that accident. The good news of the gospel bids us not to ever shut up about the love of God for sinners like you, for sinners like me, for sinners in this world that we live in, fallen and broken. Oh, that we, his people, oh, that we, his servants, oh, that we, 
Christians would give the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The last point we have is the consequences. This is the harder part of our passage. Verses 16 through 27. Look at verses 16 and 17. The verse The first servant turns his mind into ten more and because of Jesus puts him over ten cities, 18 and 19. The second servant turns his mind into five more and gets to rule over five cities. Ruling over cities represents our reign with Jesus in His kingdom. The reward is proportional to the return of His investment. In heaven, we don't just float around playing harps. When Jesus comes again, He will put heaven and earth together and we will work and we will worship. It will be incredible. And so we live here on this earth, but we work for a life that we will have for all eternity. And in Christ, we will reign with Him. In Christ, we will work with Him. In Christ, we will get to worship Him for all eternity. Oh, that that will motivate us and enable us and grow us to give our lives to Him in what we do here and now. Now, those are the good servants, the faithful servants. And yet we have a picture of a third servant, the unfaithful servant, verses 20 to 26. We come to this. And listen, we've got to talk about the whole counsel of God. This is a hard teaching, but it's a beautiful teaching. It's hard and beautiful in the sense that evil and sin will always be dealt with. Ungodliness and unrighteousness will be held accountable because Jesus will come again and He will hold us all accountable. And here we have a picture of a servant who just hides his mina in a napkin. And he thinks of his Lord as a hard man, as a harsh man, as an unloving man. And he sees Jesus in a way that's not real, that's not true. And then he goes on to even talk about his enemies. Look at verse 27. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Man, that's harsh. Man, that's hard. But is it? They have rejected Him. They have chosen to not let Him rule over them. And remember, who is this? It is Jesus who came and died in love, became a man. And in love, lived on this earth. And in love, chose when He didn't have to, to go to the cross and hang there You've heard me say it before. It's one of those great sayings. It wasn't Roman nails that held Him on the cross. It was His love for sinners like you and like me. And so this is sobering. C.H. Spurgeon put put it this way. If sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. This should motivate us to go and give the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if they leap over His people, then we know either we give our lives to Christ and He pays for our sin 
or we stand on our own and a holy, just, loving God deals with us accordingly. I know that's hard. But we have to speak the truth. We have to tell the truth because what does the Bible say? The truth will set us free. And yes, there is a hell. But a loving God, a holy God, a just God has sent His Son so that if we will rest in Him, if we will give ourselves to Him, if we will take that beautiful story to a world, He will use us. He will bring sinners to salvation through we, His people. Do you not love me? That's what Rico Tice heard, the leader of Christianity's Explorer. And I want to read this story that he tells about one of his roommates. I'd given a guy in the rugby, on my rugby team a tape. Yes, I'm old enough that it was a tape, not a podcast. It was on John 1, verse 29. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Remember that sermon? I simply and starkly said that either, either we pay for our sin in hell or the Lamb pays for our sin on the cross. This friend called Ed played my sermon one night for his housemates who were in the, on the same rugby team as us. And one of them, Dave, got very upset. He said, if that's what Rico believes, the fact he said nothing of it to me in months means he really is not my friend. So Ed rang me up and said, Rico, you need to speak to Dave. He's upset that you've not talked to him till now about what's in the sermon. Rico concluded, if I'd really loved him, if I'd warned him about hell, shown him the cross and invited him to trust Jesus and spend eternity with him in the new creation, it was a life-changing phone call. I found myself praying that I wouldn't only have a sense of God's love for me, but that I would have that same love for others, that I would love them enough to risk rejection in order to speak to them about Jesus and warn them about hell. He did, and that man came to Christ and many others. Oh, that we would take this seriously. Oh, that in love, because of God's love, we would be motivated to go share that love. It's who He is, it's who we are, it's what we're called to. And this table set before us is a picture of that love that we have been given. Would you pray with me? Lord, we're so grateful for Your goodness. We're so grateful for Your love. We're so thankful that we get to be a part of You bringing sinners to salvation. Use us. Enable us, encourage us, spur us on that we might love you so much that we would lo love others enough to tell them of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For your glory and our blessing, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.